How you guys doing today? Y'all doing well? Good to have you with us. Also, everybody around the globe joining us online. We're so glad to be with you. Now, I, I just got to make a statement. Uh, it's not really in my nature or character to wear the same thing every weekend when I preach. Um, however, uh, as a Chiefs fan, I was certain two weeks ago that it was going to be our final week, and I wore this, and we won. And then last week, I was up in New York, just outside of Buffalo, walked onto a stage, preached at a church in this, never feared more for my life, perhaps in a church service, and we won again. And so now two weeks in a row, I've preached in this jersey, and we've won, and I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious, and so I'm not going to be the reason we don't win this weekend. Uh, and so, alas. Now, the good news is, I promise, no matter what happens uh, in the final, the AFC Championship, I will not wear this next weekend. Um, because there's, no, there's no game next weekend, no matter what. <laughs> but if they win in two weeks, you can guess what I'll be wearing. Uh, so, so glad you're with us. Um, also, just want to say, today, is, this weekend is the 27th, 28th weekend, and so we are just rounding out our 21 days of prayer and fasting, wrapping that up. Uh, hopefully, you're still with us on the prayer guide, and, and again, I said it at the beginning. I said I'm really proud of how many of you have leaned into the fasting. I'm even more proud because a lot of you are still with it, uh, and, and in fact, ran into somebody in the store this weekend, and, and they're like, yeah, we're still fasting this, and yada, 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 and, uh, and just seeing God move in our lives, and so just just a reminder, we got a few days left of that, and I'm just really excited for all the, the stories that are coming out of that, and really, really, really proud of you guys. So we're going to dive back into our Philippians uh, series. we got two more weeks left. We're going to do chapter three this week and chapter four next week, which, by the way, if you want to get a head start, you can read chapter four this week, and you'll kind of have an idea of what we're going to talk about next week. Um, but we're going to address something that is, is near and dear to my heart, and um, you might find it uh, hard to believe or interesting, but literally for hundreds hundreds, even thousands of years, people who claim to know God, people who are Jesus followers, have had a real hard time distinguishing between what it really means to follow Jesus and what are the rituals and, and, and regulations and religious things that we have to follow. And even more importantly, we miss sometimes this difference of what is really required to follow Jesus versus what is our preference or what is just a ritual. And unfortunately, over the last couple thousand years, we've had this, we've kind of had this dynamic where we've kind of made it more about our preferences and our rituals at times versus actually following Jesus. And Paul's going to talk about this, but to kind of bring this to life, to give you a modern day example, I need the worship team to come back out here. We're going to have a little bit of fun with this uh, because this is what Paul is going to write about in, in Philippians chapter three, but it's something that we experience. In fact, uh, if you follow church history just in America over the last 120 years, there's been some really interesting developments and changes. Um, there's been all kinds of ideas and concepts about how you should gather, how you can't gather, what's okay when you do church, what's not okay. And depending on what denomination or what generation or time in history, we've all had different experiences. And so everything from how many baptisms you should do and when you should get baptized and sprinkled versus dunked and, and how, communion and catechism and all of these things. And there's just been these great debates. We're closer to God because we do this more or less. But perhaps there's been no greater argument and debate than and anything more than when it comes to worship. In fact, we have when we gather as pastors, we have a term for this, and it's a couple of generations old. We call it worship wars. True story. And worship wars are all of the thoughts about what true worship is and what you can and can't do. And so if you grew up like a 75, 100 years ago, and you came to church, it would not have been like this. It would not have looked like this. It would have probably looked and sounded something more like this. 
There were no drums, there was no guitar, there was no lights, and some of you were thinking, that's when worship was worship, man. The sound systems were so bad that you could hear all the other bad singers sitting around you. And that was when worship was worship. And some of us like, I've never heard that song. And some of us like, man, I miss that song. But then you just jump 30, 40, 50, 60 years later, and all of a sudden we've added a little bit more to the experience in worship in the 80s or 90s would have sounded more like this. drums and now we got guitars and I'm not gonna I'm not kidding you there was a time in the 70s 60s 70s even 80s that there was a common narrative in American church that if you were a church that used drums or guitar it was of Satan we literally convinced people that the devil wanted us to gather at a church and he was good with it as long as we used drums and guitars because we weren't using the organ even though in David's time, he said, hey, use the zither and the harp and the lyre. And he's like, you got it, play it. That's like, you know, 3,000 years old. And then, so it's like, so we've added the, this light drums, nothing too major. We don't want to blow anybody's ears out. A little bit of lights. And then you fast forward to today, the 21st century, 2024. You either think it's amazing or obnoxious, but it's like this. used to wear a suit and tie. <laughs> Women wouldn't be caught dead on stage in pants. They would only wear skirts. Then we let them have jeans. Now they even have like rips in their jeans. And you got pastors coming out in Adidas shoes and a Nike jersey. Like what in the world? How have we fallen this far? The more important question is, does it matter enough to debate about? Is it the most important thing? 
And Paul is going to write to the Philippians. He goes, guys, let's make sure we remember the most important thing. Let's have a mature mindset. Let's think like Jesus thinks. Let's focus on the things that matter most to Jesus. And let's not get hung up on the things that don't matter to Jesus. And you know what he's specifically going to address? Not hedonism and heathenism. He's actually going to address religion. Watch this, Philippians chapter 3. Are we ready to go in? Because see, before there were worship wars, there were circumcision and diet wars in Paul's day. There was this idea that in order for you to follow Jesus, you could kind of follow Jesus, but you also had to be kind of like a Jew, even though Jesus said, I accomplished the law. And there was all kinds of mixed uh, 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 camps and there was mixed kind of signals and nobody, and they're like, well, what do we got to do? And Paul writes to the Philippians like, hey, don't forget to focus on the most important thing. Jesus! That's it. <laughs> Philippians chapter three, he says this, and Paul does not mince words. I love me some Paul. Watch out for those dogs. Those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. What does he mean by no confidence in the flesh? He's saying there's no amount of rituals or religion or religious activity that can make you better or get you closer to God. I'm going to say it again because some of our hearts need to hear it. There's no amount of rituals, there's no amount of behavior, and there's no amount of religion that can get you, make you a better person or get you closer to God. Yeah. Only Jesus can do that. Yeah. Now, let's go, so here's, so here's what you had. Back in the day, Paul shows up and he's teaching people how to follow Jesus, but you had this group specifically, they were called the Judaizers, that were like, we're okay if you want to follow Jesus, but you also have to be Jewish. And it was really, really, uh, really confusing. And the big debate in Paul's day after Jesus left was, did Jesus fulfill the Old Testament? Did he fulfill the law? Or do they still apply today? And when we say, did they apply today? You have specifically the 10 commandments in Exodus 20, but the 613 other commandments called mishvats that they had come up, to, come up with by the time that Jesus lived. So you got 10 big ones, 613 other ones, and they're going like, well, do we, which ones do we pay attention to? Are some in, some out, all of it? Because Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish it, but I came to fulfill it. And what's really interesting, and, we, and we, so we have to ask the question is, so what is the ultimate purpose of the Old Testament? That's what we have to understand when we read Philippians, the New Testament, and understand the Bible. And Paul dealt with it too. And here's what's really interesting. Paul was... Paul knew what was true then is true now and was true now was true then is no one really followed all of them. They would even then kind of pick and choose, right? They would tithe like a tenth of their, their spices, but then they would neglect the poor. Or they would, they would take care of the poor, but they were greedy and they wouldn't, you know, they would sleep with whoever and they would uh, do, do uh, different things with meat and diet. And so there was constantly this which ones matter, which ones don't. Um, because they wouldn't follow all the laws most of the time, only some of them or their favorite ones or the ones they grew up with or the ones they deem most important. Which reminds me so many times again, I was a youth pastor in the 90s and 2000s, well, youth leader and youth pastor in the 90s and 2000s, and I've always kind of known the Bible. And so in the 90s and 2000s, tattoos were different than, than they are now. Does anybody remember? Yeah. It was like guitars and uh, drums in church. You were going straight to hell. You should have laughed a lot more at that because that's how we thought. And so as a youth pastor, guess what question I got asked all the time by parents? Pastor, doesn't the Bible say something about having tattoos? And I would say, yes, it does. And the, the parents are like, we knew it. <laughs> I says, actually, in Leviticus, 8, in Leviticus, Leviticus 19, it says that we are not to mark our bodies and we're not to have any other tattoos. And they're like, I can't wait to tell them. I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. 
But after the verse right after that, it also said that any man with facial hair can never cut his beard, especially on the sides. And if you keep reading a couple chapters, it says women are never to adorn themselves with any sort of jewelry or makeup. So ma'am, you're going to have to wash that off, take that off. And sir, you can't keep cutting that. If you're going to go tell your kid, he can't have a tattoo because that was the Levitical law. And you either have to do all of it or none of it. And so they were like, at first they were like, ah, we got him. And they were like, oh man, we we wish our pastor didn't know the Bible as much. Like for real. And so it was the same then. It was the same then as there. And so what we have to understand, and if you're new to this thing, here's what you have to understand about the Old Testament. And this is just so simple but revolutionary, and it just helps us. Paul dealt with it. We still with it today. What's the point of the Old Testament? Is it, are all of those rituals a, a, a stairway to heaven? Is it how you get to God? The answer is two letters. The Old Testament is not a stairway to heaven, but a signpost to Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus, and everything in the New Testament points back to It's all about Jesus. In fact, Paul writes about this in a couple of contexts. Let me go there quick. Romans chapter three, verse 20 uh, says, for no one, how many people is that? Yeah, everyone is no one, right, exactly. No one can ever be made right by God in doing what the law commands. Well, what's the point of all these laws then? Jesus. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. In other words, it shows us how desperate we are for a savior to save our souls and forgive our sins. The law just points out how we ain't getting it done. Like we aren't, we aren't cutting it, right? And so he says that, he, he says in another place in Galatians 3, I love it. He says, let me put it another way. I love the simplicity of this. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. It's just so beautiful. He said, the law doesn't have, it was not purposeful, less like all the law helped you to live better and treat people good. It was good. Like it was really good, but it wasn't the point. All the diet stuff, you know, you can eat cows, but you can't eat pigs and stay away from bats, but veggies are good, but not on the, not on the Sabbath. Like it all had a purpose, but it wasn't the point. Do you know what I'm saying? So here's, that's my kind of my one line about religion. It, it, it often has a purpose, but it was never the point. The point was, it's always meant to be a signpost to something else. Uh, again, I, maybe it's been a while since I reminded you, this is one of those churches that when the pastor says something really good, deep, profound that your spirit needs to hear, you need to tell yourself, like, hey, that's good, come on. Um, because like, I feel like today I'm here and you're all here. I, I, I'm assuming online you guys are blowing up the keyboard. Help them out. And so here's what Paul was dealing with. These Judaizers, the people who wanted to follow Jesus, they were trying to make everyone who followed Jesus to make them a Jew. But the goal wasn't to become a Jew. The goal was to become a follower of. And so here's, here's how it worked. If you were a Jew and you decided to follow Jesus, guess what? You could keep being a Jew. But if you weren't a Jew and you decided to follow Jesus, you didn't have to become a Jew. You could just follow Jesus. And you know what the term for that was? Gentiles. This is what the Gentiles were. And so these, we call these Gentiles. And so the, the whole idea was, and their whole point was, and specifically to be a Jew was around two things, diet and circumcision. Yes, the, the kind, it's not a metaphor. It's not some other Greek word. It's what you think it is. That was how they were to identify themselves. They were supposed to do it on the eighth day. But here's the problem. All these Jews show up to these Gentiles going, we got circumcised on the eighth day, but if you want to follow Jesus, I know you're a grown man. You got to get circumcised too. I don't remember anything that happened to me on the eighth day of my life. I guarantee if it happened in my 20s or 30s, I would remember. In fact, go read the Old Testament. There's a whole battle won because they convinced a group to get circumcised. And what you would imagine happened, happened. It was in the Bible. I'm not being gross. It's in the Bible. So they're like, hey, we just want to follow. Like, they wanted to make it about following Jesus. And these Jews, I just want to make it about foreskins. That's all I'll say and we'll move on. So... 
So here's what Paul's gonna talk about. He's like, hey, we gotta address this because everybody's confused. And so I'm gonna show you the end before the beginning so you know where we're talking, where we're going. Ever read the end of a book or, or find out how a movie ends to see if it's even worth your time? Okay, so I'm gonna do that for you. So if what I read to you isn't worth your time, I'll save you 25 minutes. You can leave if you don't think this is worth your time. Uh, here's where we're gonna end today. Philippians chapter three, verse 15. He says this, all of us then who are mature, somebody say mature. mature. Now let's say it like somebody who's really mature. Say mature. mature. But you have to do that with your hand. Mature. You guys don't listen. I don't, even, I don't even know why you come listen to me. If those who are mature, is that a, it, all joking aside, that's a pretty good goal. I want to be mature. Like, I don't know anybody who doesn't want to be mature. He says, then we should take such a view of these things, right? So there's our goal. The target is I want to be mature. I want to be spiritually mature. I want to be emotionally mature. I want to be mature in my relationships. It doesn't mean boring. I defined maturity a long time ago. Maturity is just deciding when to be immature and when it's time to be mature. And it's really working well for me. I, they let me lead a church and I, most people don't go, he's really mature. You know what I mean? I just know when to be serious and have fun. So he says, you should take a view of such things. So everything before this, Points to what? Close. <laughs> Immaturity or everything before this if, should point to what it means to be mature. He says, we who are mature take a view of these things. Such a view. So such a view is what we're going to cover. So everything before this is how a mature person knows or thinks about spiritual maturity. And so, uh, so essentially, he's going to go in at first and talk about the biggest key is that religion can keep you from knowing God. Did you know that? Yeah. Philippians 3 is about religion can actually keep you from knowing God. And so I'm going to talk about that and I'm going to give you some, some stuff that we can kind of identify where are we at with this. And so three things that Paul's basically going to show us and I'll show you through scriptures. First of all, he's going to go in on this. What's a mature person? He's saying, avoid the dead end called rules and rituals. Paul's about to write, avoid the dead end. And this is what we take away. Avoid the dead end called rules and rituals. Now, again, I know I'll be, I'll be honest. This is hard for some of us to, to hear because you got 50 years of a different type of, you said Hail Marys. I didn't say it. I was thinking something like that. Or a, a denomination where it was like, man, you got a Hail Marys or confessions or baptisms or you have all these rules and rituals and you were like told if you ain't getting it done, you ain't making it. The only problem with that is the Bible. And Jesus. And it's all about rules and rituals. And so we have to avoid that because here's what I'll tell you, man. This is, this, I just, God's gonna free some people this weekend. Man-made rituals, listen to this, and even God-given rituals, just the rituals, have no power in and of themselves. Those are only an outward sign of an inward reality. Can I explain what I mean? I've been married 19 years. This wedding ring does not mean I am a good husband, and it does not mean I am faithful. It just means I'm married. Are you with me on this? This doesn't mean anything about the way I go about it. It just means that I am. It carries no power. It's literally just a symbol, right? So here's the cool thing about this. When the reality is there, when I am faithful, which I have been, and when I am a good husband, which I try to be, the symbol has so much power. However, if the reality isn't there, it's a fraudulent symbol. And everybody who knows me knows it. This is following Jesus. 
So all these rituals and religion, if we aren't actually, if we aren't doing it, if we're not, it's not real to us, it's actually fraudulent. But if you are, there's power to it and you know people. And that's why I don't cast stones on any of the rules and rituals. We're, at, we're an evangelical, non-denominational church. We do communion like once a series. Yet we know that two-thirds of our church grew up Catholic and it's not about the ritual for some of you, but you feel connected to Jesus when you do that. So we have a communion station right back there that you can use every single weekend during worship. At any point you can get up because as long as it's not about the ritual, but we just want you to, if that is how you connect to Jesus, we don't want to get in the way of that. We just want you to know that doesn't make you closer to Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? But who would we be to take that from you and say, well, that doesn't matter. No, it may not matter to me, but it may very much matter to you. Just don't make that the thing. Don't make the communion the power. Just understand that's the wedding ring. But if that's a moment for you, we want to offer that to you every single weekend. You know, that's a great example. That's the old tool of rituals. And again, same thing, baptized, confirmed, all those things, sprinkled, dunk. Ah, it, it. Paul says, <laughs> I, watch this. And he's about to, get, he's about to go in on this. I, though I myself have such reasons for confidence. He's, remember what was the last thing he said? Don't put any confidence in the flesh. What is he talking about? Rules and rituals. Watch this. He's going to give his resume and it's better than all of ours. He says, if someone thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh or be about rules and rituals, he goes, I promise I have more. He's like, I'm better. Circumcised on the eighth day. Good for you, Paul. That's a good way to do it. Of the people of Israel, God's chosen covenant people. Of the tribe of Benjamin, one of two tribes that never really lost their way or went astray in all those years. A Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning the best of the best elite, true story he was. In regards to the law of Pharisee, of Pharisees were the most strict on all the rules. They took it to an nth degree. As for zeal, he was so, he says this, persecuting the church. What he meant was he saw the movement of Jesus as such an attack on Judaism that he persecuted Christians, even signed off on some of their deaths. He's like, I was more passionate than you, more educated than you. I'm more Roman than you. I'm more Jewish than you. I'm more knowledgeable than you. I did all of it better than you. All of it. And as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Somebody thinks an awful lot of themselves. I love this, verse seven. But whatever gains it used to be to me, I now consider it loss. Why? For the sake of knowing Christ. He goes, all of it was a fraud because I didn't know Jesus He's like, you can have it. Hebrew, have it. Benjamin, have it. Israel, have it. Zeal, have it. If it's not for Jesus, he's like, it's not, not just meaningless. It's actually a loss. It's in the negative. It's, it puts me in the red on humanity. Do you see what he's saying? And so he's saying, what is he saying? I did the rules. I did the rituals better than all y'all. And here's the thing. They actually knew he did because some of them were there when they killed his friend or threw his friend in jail for his zeal. And he argued like a Pharisee and give it all that stuff. And so he's like, it's a loss. So he's like, you can do it. He's like, but there, put no confidence in it. So first of all, he says, avoid the dead end called rules and rituals. And then he's going to go in on the second part. He goes, there's another dead end. Avoid the dead end called heritage and self-discipline. Heritage and self-discipline. What does he mean? Let's keep going. Verse eight. He goes, this is what, I love verse eight. Go ahead and put up uh, verse eight. I know there's a parody about me going too fast and you can't take notes, but we'll figure that out later. What's more? He's like, I'm not done yet. I'm better. What's more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Somebody say garbage. That I may gain Christ. Now here's what I love about that word garbage. Uh, oh, I think there's one more verse. The not, yeah. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Flip back to verse eight real quick, that word garbage. Basically, the translators didn't have enough guts to say what he really said there. Because the word garbage in, uh, in Greek is the word skubala. 
Scubula doesn't mean trash. It means fecal matter. So he says, all that stuff is worth a pile of you fill in the blank, but not too, not too crazy, like poop, okay? Th Three-year-old. That's, I don't got the guts to say it, and the and translators didn't have a guts to say it, but that's literally the intensity he wrote. It's all crap. That's what he, that's, that is the literal thing that he said. It's all garbage. He goes, so self-discipline, I did it. Heritage, I mean heritage. Hebrew, Benjamin, Israel, rubbish. Pharisee, law, zeal, rubbish. Catechism, communion, baptism, prayer. 21 days of prayer and fasting. It could be your version of it. Rubbish, 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 rubbish. If, 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 if. If you think that's what it takes to be more like God or get closer to God, it's just God. It's just God himself. Add the other stuff as it becomes meaningful in your relationship with him, but don't confuse the ring for the power, right? The ring has no power. It's, it's if I walk and live it out, right? I ain't Smeagol. This ring has no power. So instead, he says, number three, he says, take the highway. Avoid the dead end. Self-discipline, heritage, rules, ritual. He goes, there's the highway. Following Jesus. Just take the highway for called following Jesus. Well, Where'd he get that from? Well, the words of Jesus, John 14, 6, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there's nobody getting to God except through me. Amen. What does he mean by that? There's no amount of heritage. There's no amount of discipline. There's no amount of rules. There's no amount of rituals that can get you to God unless you come through me. And that's what he says. That is what Paul's saying. He's like, follow Jesus. Make it just Jesus. We sing songs called Just Jesus. And so... Uh, I'm going to finish this, this narrative, and then I want to give you just a couple practical thoughts uh, as we kind of wrap this thing up. And so he goes on, verse 10 through 16, and again, you can kind of marinate on this this week. This might be really good stuff to kind of read in addition to the 21 days of prayer. We're in chapter 3 if you're following the guide. But he says this, I, so he says, in light of all this, verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. I want to become like him in death and so somehow attaining resurrection from the dead. And then I love what he says this right here. This, and this is where we're going to pull some of our next uh, observations from. He says, not that I have already obtained all this. So what is he saying? I'm not there yet. He's like, all the stuff I said, I said it was rubbish. I'm actually not there yet. Not that I've attained it or that I have arrived at my goal, but I do press on to take hold of that which for Christ Jesus took hold of for me. Brothers and sisters, I do not yet consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. That's what he said. He said, I, I'm not there. I had all the stuff. It was wrong. I found Jesus, but guess what? I ain't there yet. I still press on, and I got a whole litany of stuff. I killed Christians. That makes me worse than most of you, but I'm forgetting what's behind. I'm pressing on because there's more, and it's all about Jesus. And then he says what I said to you at the beginning, verse 15, show that. All of us then who are should take such a view of things. What view? Verse 2 through 14, where we just said. And if someone, and here's what's awesome. And if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. What's he saying? God's so good that when you start veering back towards rituals and heritage and reg, he's like, no, 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 no. Come back. Like, oh yeah, sorry, my bad, my bad, my bad. I mean, I mean. What do I do? I mean, like, whatever, right? Like, it doesn't matter because man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. So verse 16, he says, so let us live up to what he's already attained. So we have a couple minutes left uh, and then we're gonna do communion together. Why? Because communion is our way of remembering Jesus. 
It's all about Jesus. And so let me give you, so he's talking about spiritual maturity, spiritual mindset. I'm gonna give you five things, five ways do we get to maturity, five things that we can do to get to maturity. It's like, man, if I want this, I wanna have attained it, I wanna be repulsed, how do we get there? Five things, and so I wanna give you five things a mature mindset or a mature perspective remembers or doesn't forget. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna highlight a couple of these really quick, uh, but I'm gonna camp out on one or two of them. First one is this, Paul just said it, the first thing a mature person understands, and gosh, this is so real. As long as I'm alive, I haven't arrived. As long as I'm alive, I haven't arrived. What is, Paul said, not that I have already obtained it I have, or have arrived at my goal. He literally says in verse 12, I haven't arrived yet and I'm not at my goal. But he said, I'm going to press on. So this is, so let, yeah, right there. So this idea of as long as I'm alive, I haven't arrived. Go ahead and put that back up there. Let me just say this. This is a holy dissatisfaction. It's, there's more in me, there's more in me, there's more in me. It's not a guilt-driven life. There's a huge difference between, oh, I'm just never gonna make it. I'm never gonna be there. God just must be so tired of me and I keep messing up and I keep, no, he knows. So it's not a guilt-driven life. It's this idea that wherever you're at, God always has more for you, right? Like any gardeners in the house or people who like kind of have a green thumb, right? You ever get to the point where you're like, I got all the weeds out of the garden. It's immaculate. Like we're there. You do for a second. But a week later, what happens? Stinking weeds came back. I heard a friend talk, talk about they bought a house because the curb appeal was amazing. Like they're like, we bought this house for the curb appeal. They did nothing for the first year of the curb appeal. I'm like, how come it doesn't look the same as it did when we bought the house? They didn't trim the shrubs. They didn't pull the weeds. Of course, right, why? Because it has to continue to work. And this is what Paul is saying. And so he's saying, if I've arrived, I haven't arrived. We have a church code in our church that says, we are all works in progress. It's the grace word, right? Like we're reminding ourselves, I'm, I, I'm not where I used to be, but I'm not where I wanna be. And by the grace of God, I'm gonna get there. So number one. Number two, and this one's the one I'm gonna lean into for a minute, because this one, for some of you, this won't just be the thing to remember. This, if you will do this, you will enjoy life so much more and you will have so much more joy and so much more peace and you will walk in freedom like immediately if you are honest enough to say, this is me and this is what I need to do. And so a second thing that a mature perspective knows, uh, a mature perspective, a mature mindset knows is this. I need a mirror more than I need binoculars. And so I just happen to have both. You can tell whose mirror this is not. But let's think, let's just break this down for just a second. Most of us, the reason we're so unhappy and we're so anxious, we spend our whole life doing this. And here's the truth about this. The truth is if the caps are off, you ain't seen nothing. <laughs> but, but you know what's true. The more I zoom in on you, the more I see all the flaws. There's a freckle there, you got some nose hairs. You got some ear hairs, right? But, but the, the more I zoom, the more I'm like, oh, did you know, like, you, those, those are turning gray. That shirt, <laughs> who told you that shirt fit you? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we laugh, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But most of us who spend our whole life, zoom, 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 zoom. And whether it's what's wrong with them or, gosh, that's a big house. Gosh, that's a big boat. Gosh, that's a handsome husband. Gosh, those are great kids. We lose every time but we spend, most of us spend our life, zoom, 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 zoom. And here's, the more I look at you, the more I usually see what's wrong with you. Some of you, I just wanna love you enough to invite you to put down the binoculars, grab a mirror. Because the more I look at me, speaking of nose hairs, <laughs> hmm, sideburns aren't in line, 
Is that two chins we see there? I'm just being real with you. The more I look at me, the more I zoom in on me. And when I look at me, this is why David, you know what David prayed? Search me, oh God. David grabbed the mirror. The man after God's heart. The guy who didn't get it right all the time, but who had God's heart. He was just constantly in the mirror. I can't worry about what Saul did. I can't worry about what Jonathan's going to do. I don't know what's going on, but God, this is just you and me, you and me. And I see so many Christians. We're just miserable because we're like, ah, that church, that pastor, that Christian, that small group leader, that serve team member, that blah, blah, blah. Oh, shut up. Search me and know me, God. What are you doing here? What's going on here? I can't control that, but we can be in on this. Maturity knows I live in the mirror. I don't live in the binoculars. Matthew chapter seven, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he calls it the log eye syndrome. Jesus addressed this. I mean, Matthew chapter seven, he says, why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have like a plank in yours? We're like, they got a speck. How'd that tree get there? But most of us are so oblivious, right? It's a sure sign of maturity. And here's the danger, and here's how you know. Even, I see this in church. I've been in church my whole life. I'm in the middle of my fourth decade. Some of us, as we continue to follow Jesus, even our spiritual conversations turn less about ourselves and more to everybody else. Do you know what has so-and-so is going on? We should probably pray for him. And, and I love in Peter Scazzaro's Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he says, just because you've been following Jesus a long time or going to church a long time doesn't mean you're an emotionally healthy or emotionally mature Christian, spiritually mature. He goes, I know way too many people who have been 25 years in a row a one-year Christian because they're still living in binoculars. We haven't matured. We haven't, we haven't grown. And it doesn't mean we're spiritually mature. And so a mature mindset, a mature person knows, I don't need binoculars. That's God's business. I need a mirror. And me and the Holy Spirit will do work. Amen. And if he happens to give me some influence or some leadership, I'm just going to help other people turn the mirror on them. I'm going to coach them and, and encourage and pray them into being who God created them to be as well. Amen? Amen. That's the one. That's the one. Okay, Th two more, three more things real quick. Another thing that a mature perspective doesn't forget, the right path is, is rarely the sel uh, seldom the easy path. The right path is seldom the easy path. Again, we know this, right? We know this to be true. I mean, in three verses, in verse 12, 13, and 14, what does Paul say? I haven't attained it. I press on, I strain, I press on, right? Like, I press on, I strain, I press on. Those don't sound like easy words. <laughs> like, press on and straining is what I feel like I do every time I work out. I'm like, ah, oh, somebody told me this is good for me, but I hate it. You know what I mean? Like, it's this, oh, I'm going to go. And so um, there's, this really, um, there's this really interesting uh, study they did. You've seen a lot of these videos recently, but a, a generation ago they did a study with a bunch of kids testing their EQ and how long they could delay gratification. And so they brought them in and they put like two M&Ms in front of all of them. They said, we're going to leave the room, uh, uh, but if you, if you don't eat them uh, when we come back, we're going to give you five more. And the whole point, and they were videoing the whole thing, and the whole point was how many of the kids would eat them and how many they wouldn't. You've seen parents do this, but this study, was that was the start of the study, and they actually followed these kids all the way into adulthoods, well into their careers, 30, 40 years. And so you have, this funny, you have these funny stories of some of the kids, I mean, as soon as the door closed, yum, they were going away. You had some kids that were like just smelling them, like a couple of kids were like, just lick them and put them down. Like, how close can I get to the line, right? But at the end of the study, they came in and they gave them and whatever, and the kids went home and nobody thought anything of it. Well, they tracked all of these kids throughout life and what they found is that um, to a child in that study, that at the young age, the more that they could delay the gratification in that moment, the more successful they were in almost every arena. People who need what they need now and want the easy path are usually the least successful people long-term. And so how can we get used to going, oh, the easy path isn't always the seldom path. Seldom the easy path, you know what I meant. 
Number four, real quick. Success isn't forever and failure isn't fatal. We talk about this on our staff all the time. We're, I had a mentor that taught us a long time ago, never read the press about yourself, whether it's the good stuff or the bad stuff. It's rarely ever accurate. The best is inflated and the worst is usually a little bit too critical. And so success isn't forever, failure isn't fatal. In verse 13, Paul said, one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I strain towards what's ahead. Mature, uh, worship team, you guys can come on back out here. Here's what I would tell you about success and failure. And this is why it's a dangerous game. Past successes can seduce us, but past failures can sideline us. So don't put too much stock in either. We're learning, we're growing, we're getting better. And as long as I'm alive, I haven't arrived, amen? amen. And God's grace is sufficient. And so quick down, quick up. Success often will make us think that I'm better than I am. And failure usually gets us going things like, I'm a good for nothing. How could God ever use me or do anything with me? And neither are really accurate about what's true about your identity, right? Let me plug this for a second, the, 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 the failure part. Um, I don't think too many of us would go Christmas shopping a few weeks ago, go buy something, put it under the tree, and then the next day go back and pay for it again, even though we already had it. But many of us do it all the time with our own failures. I need to keep paying for it. I need to keep paying for it. I need to keep paying for it. Can I just remind you of something? If you're in Christ, it was already paid for. And if Jesus said it's paid for at the cross, it's paid for. You don't have to stop paying for it. Receive forgiveness, get better, get up, and move forward. Failure is always an opportunity to look in the mirror and get better. It doesn't define you. Somebody needs to hear that. And then the last thing, the mature perspective knows is that following Jesus, the best way to follow Jesus is just one step at a time. One step at a time. One step at a time. Sometimes it's a step forward. Sometimes it's a half step back. Get up, keep moving, get up, keep moving. Paul, I, the last scripture I read to you in verse 15 and 16, he says, if at some point, uh, uh, if at some point you think differently, God will help you out. If you get off, God will move you back. And so what Paul's saying, what a mature mindset knows is none of us are arrived. If I'm alive, I haven't arrived. The rituals, the heritage, all the stock that the world puts into stuff doesn't mean anything about getting closer to Jesus. We don't have to be overwhelmed. Here's the other thing. We don't have to be worried about how far we have to go. We're just gonna grab the mirror. We're gonna look at ourselves. We're gonna go, Jesus, what's the step you want me to take today? You and me, Jesus, let's just, you take the wheel, you take my hand, one step at a, ah, oh, never, I'll never get to where my dad is, where my small group leader, where Pastor Marco is. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. That's binoculars. One step at a time, me and Jesus. And so we're gonna close with the couple minutes that we have left with communion. And communion, the Bible says, on the last night, Jesus had a meal. He sat down the disciples and, and I'm just summarizing. He said, he broke the bread and he took it and he said, I'm breaking this. This represents my body that's gonna be broken so that you can follow me and not rituals and, and rules. And he goes, and every time you do it, remember, reflect on me and what this means for you. And then he handed the cup and he said, take it and drink. And when you do, remember my blood. My blood was the ultimate price tag for every mistake, every failure you've ever made. You keep coming back to me and you will walk in freedom and forgiveness. And so, uh, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna participate, but I've asked them to sing uh, a song. It's that song, Make Room. And what I wanna do is just take a couple minutes where we make room. And I just want to ask a couple questions. As we sing this song, you can, stay in your, you can stay in your seat. You can sing with us if you want. But I would love for you to look inside. I'd love for us to practice grabbing a mirror for a minute and going, God, is there one of those, one of those five signs of maturity that I, I owe it to myself to kind of grow in a little bit? Maybe it's not being so hard on myself with my failure. Maybe it's putting down the binoculars. Maybe it's not focusing on where I'm going to be 30 years from now. It's one step. What, God, where, where would I do well to, to focus this? 
And then even more importantly, I believe there's some here and you've either been trusting your own strength, your own success, or your own, or even a religious system, rules, rituals, heritage, self-discipline. And today would be a great day to give the wheel to Jesus, to get out of the driver's seat, move over, and give Jesus the wheel of the life. He wants to go on the journey with you. He's not kicking you out of the car. He just wants to steer. Maybe the thing you need to consider is, I made that decision a long time ago, but some of us, we get to a certain part of our life and every time Jesus takes us there, we grab the wheel and we want back control. Is there an area where you keep doing this and Jesus is like, I got it. Is there an area of maturity? Is there an area where you still don't trust Jesus to take you down a certain path? Or maybe, just maybe, you need to make the decision that over a thousand people made last year through our services. I'm gonna surrender my life to Jesus. I'm sliding over, buckling in, he's driving. Let's do this together, but I trust you. Wherever you're at with that, they're just gonna sing the song and we're gonna make some room for Jesus. And then at the end of the song, we're gonna participate in communion together. We're gonna do it together and then I'll close in prayer. But I wanna give you some space to think about what's God saying to you in light of this word today. Yes, Jesus.
God, we give you permission to shake the ground of our heritage, self-discipline, rules, rituals, or even self-preservation or relying on ourselves. Jesus, we thank you for your life, your power, that you say when, when we give you the wheel of our life, you forgive us our sins, you adopt us into your family, and you transform us with a new spirit, a new life, with your Holy Spirit. So we think of and we remember you, Jesus. If you have your communion emblems, I just want to invite you right where you're at to open it up. We'll do the bread. Jesus said, every time you do this, remember that I paid for your mistakes. So I'm worthy of serving, but you don't have to pay for them too. And so let's remember Jesus' body that was broken on our behalf. And in the same form, he handed the cup and he said, take it and drink. And every time you do, be reminded of my blood covered all of it, all of it. My blood covered all of it so you can be free. And so let's remember the freedom that Jesus bought us with his blood. And I want to say this. If you, even in that moment, are like, man, I need this. I need to, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. We've made it so easy uh, to, to let us know. And we want to help you and walk with you. And so we would love if you walk, before you walk out of here, just grab your phone and text Cape Yes to 94000. We'll walk you through what the Bible says. We'll talk about the outward symbols of salvation. And we'll help you access this new life you have in God. For the rest of us, let's focus on one thing that God would have us focus on about how we can be more mature and we can walk in the freedom that he has for us. I love you guys. God bless you. If you need prayer for anything, we have a prayer a team right in our prayer room. We'll see you guys next week for the finale of the book of Philippians. Love you guys.